Esther chapter 9. We finally made it to the end of the book. And believe it or not, after I destroyed your image of Esther, I did not receive any hate mail over that. I thought for sure people are going to be angry because I've just destroyed the image of Esther. Well, anyway, here we are finishing out uh, our series called Reversals. To let you know, next week we will begin a new series in the Psalms of Ascent. The Ascent Psalms, which are Psalms 120 to 134, a series that I've titled Stalking Joy, that we want to stalk joy and pursue joy in our lives. So that's where we will be next week in Psalm 120. This week I watched an episode of the old 60s sci-fi show, The Outer Limits. It was an episode called Demon with a Glass Hand, and it stars one of my favorite actors, Robert Culp. And if you know him, he uh, is an incredible actor. He was a villain in several episodes of Columbo, if you love that show. He also starred in one of the greatest shows of the 80s, The Greatest American Hero, if you remember that show. And of course, he starred in the 60s show I Spy as well. But in this episode of The Outer Limits, Robert Culp plays a man named Trent who has no memory of his life before the last 10 days. He doesn't know who he is. He doesn't know where he is from. But he is no ordinary man because Trent's left hand is actually a computer made of glass. It's shaped like a normal hand, but it's made of glass and there's this computer inside that speaks to him. But his hand is missing three fingers. And the computer hand tells him that if he wants his memory back and if he wants to get all of his questions answered, he has to find the three missing fingers and reattach them. Now, I'll spare you the rest of the episode because it's pretty cheesy. Or in case you want to watch it, I'll spare you. I mean, there's time travel involved, which always elevates any episode of anything. But that didn't really happen in this case. It's a very cheesy episode. But Trent ends up getting his three missing fingers back. He reattaches them and his memory returns and the computer is now able to answer his questions. And Trent finally discovers his true identity. He is a robot, not a human being. When Trent was finally reconnected to his missing fingers, to the rest of his body, he found his true identity. When he was reconnected to his body, he found his true identity. When he was reconnected to his body, he found his true identity. You probably know the point that I'm making. As disciples of Jesus Christ, when we are disconnected from the rest of the body of Christ, we forget who we are. When we are disconnected from the rest of the body of Christ, we experience amnesia. We forget who we are. We forget our identity. We experience what Elise Fitzpatrick calls gospel amnesia. She says this, One reason we don't grow in ordinary, grateful obedience, as we should, is that we've got amnesia. We've forgotten that we are cleansed from our sins. In other words... Ongoing failure in sanctification, the slow process of change into Christ-likeness, is the direct result of failing to remember God's love for us in the gospel. 
If we lack the comfort and assurance that his love and cleansing are meant to supply, our failures will handcuff us to yesterday's sins and we won't have faith or courage to fight against them or the love for God that's meant to empower this war. If we fail to remember our justification, redemption, and reconciliation, we'll struggle in our sanctification. And Jesus knew this would happen. He knew that we would get gospel amnesia. So he came up with the idea of the Sabbath. And it's through weekly corporate worship and fellowship on the Sabbath, as we reconnect with the rest of the body of Christ, as we hear the word of God preach, it is then that our memory returns and we are reminded of who we really are. And this is one of the main reasons that we gather to worship God on the Sabbath, to be reminded of who we really are, to be reminded that we are in union with Christ. We have one day out of seven to get recalibrated with the gospel with our brothers and sisters in Christ. And what we will see Esther and Mordecai do in the rest of the book of Esther is this. They will start a new custom for the Jewish people in order to spur their memory, in order to prevent gospel amnesia. They will start a new holiday, the festival of Purim. But if you read between the lines, or if you were an average God-fearing Jew at the time, if you were an average Yahweh-worshipping Israelite at the time that Esther and Mordecai lived, you would know this, that God already gave Israel special days and festivals to remember who they were. They didn't necessarily need this new festival, the festival of Purim. They didn't need a new festival. They had plenty of opportunities built into their calendar to remember God's faithfulness. Not that the festival of Purim was a bad thing, but what Esther and Mordecai should have done is call the Jews back to the festivals that they already had, specifically to call them back to weekly Sabbath worship in order to spur their memory. Now, if you remember from earlier in this series, there was a lot of moral compromise with the Jews living in Persia. They should have gone back home to Israel after the Babylonian exile but they stayed in Persia and they were disconnected from the people of God. And because they were disconnected from the rest of the body of Christ, they forgot who they were. Here's our big idea today, and I'll show you where I'm getting it as we go along. When Jesus came, every day became a holiday. Karen Carpenter said that in one of the Carpenter's Christmas songs. Since Jesus came, every day is a holiday. Every single day as Christians and as disciples, we get to celebrate being in union with Christ, being in union with God's Son, Jesus. But we, like the Jews living in the Persian Empire, we also need together for weekly worship on the Sabbath, on Sunday. Sunday is special because that's the day that God set aside in creation for us to rest and to worship 
and to serve others. And that, the Sabbath, more important than the festival of Purim, is what Esther and Mordecai should have stressed to the people. Look at Esther chapter 9, beginning in verse 20. Hear the word of the Lord. And Mordecai recorded these things and sent letters to all the Jews who were living in all the provinces of King Ahasuerus, both near and far, obliging them to keep the 14th day of the month of Adar and also the 15th day of the same, year by year, as the days on which the Jews got relief from their enemies and as the month that had been turned for them from sorrow into gladness and from mourning into a holiday, that they should make them days of feasting and gladness, days for sending gifts of food to one another and gifts to the poor. So Mordecai sends these letters throughout the Persian Empire telling all the Jews that they are to mark it on their calendars, that they should celebrate their victory over their enemies, and they should celebrate that on Adar 14 and Adar 15. They were to celebrate and eat lots of food and bake brownies for one another and go throughout their city and give food to the poor. Basically, they were supposed to throw block parties for two days straight. They were to celebrate and to party for two straight days. And literally, verse 22, which says, from mourning or sadness into a holiday in Hebrew, it literally reads, from mourning into a good day. It just says, good day in Hebrew. Yom Tov, good day. Yom Tov. The Jews went from mourning and sadness and fearing for their lives for 11 months to fighting their enemies on Friday the 13th of Adar and defending themselves and defeating their enemies all the way to a good day. Just like theologian and gangster rapper Ice Cube said in his 1993 hit, It Was a Good Day, he said, Today I didn't even have to use my AK. I got to say it was a good day. It was a good day for Ice Cube because he didn't have to use his AK-47 on his enemies. So too, it was a good day, Yom Tov, for the Jews because they were safe. And they didn't have to use their AK-47s on their enemies anymore. Instead of using their AKs, they used their ovens to bake goods for one another. Instead of doing drive-bys, they went through the drive-thru at In-N-Out and gave it to the poor in their city. They ate pie, they gave to the poor, and they started the festival of Purim, all because Haman, their arch enemy, cast poor or lots. Look at verse 23. And so the Jews accepted what they had started to do and what Mordecai had written to them. For Haman the Agagite, the son of Hamadatha, the enemy of all the Jews, had plotted against the Jews to destroy them and had cast pur, that is, cast lots, to crush and destroy them. But when it came before the king, he gave orders in writing that his evil plan that he had devised against the Jews should return on his own head and that he and his son should be hanged on the gallows. Therefore, they called these days Purim, after the term pur. Therefore... Because of all that was written in this letter and of what they had faced in this matter and of what had happened to them, the Jews firmly obligated themselves and their offspring and all who joined them that without fail they would keep these two days according to what was written and at the time appointed every year. 
that these days should be remembered and kept throughout every generation, in every clan, province, and city, and that these days of Purim should never fall into disuse among the Jews, nor should the commemoration of these days cease among their descendants. So the Jews throughout the Persian Empire started celebrating the festival of Purim. They started this festival so that in the future, they could give themselves hope if they ever fell on black days again. They started Purim to remind them that it ain't over until it's over. To remind them that it ain't over till the fat lady sings. To remind them not to count their chickens before they hatch. To remind them that nothing is carved in stone. They started the festival of Purim to remind themselves that even though there are times when it seems like God is absent, he is always very much present. And that's a good reminder for us too. Listen, if it seems like God is hidden in your life right now, you don't know what's going on, why the things that are happening in your life are happening. If it seems like he isn't listening to or answering your prayers, if it seems like he isn't working and moving for your good, then let the festival of Purim remind you that God is present. Don't let the middle of the story throw you for a loop. That's why Esther and Mordecai started Purim, to let the Jews in the future know that they shouldn't let the middle of the story, what's happening in their lives in that moment, to throw them for a loop. And so if life is difficult right now, and you're confused about what God is up to, why did that just happen to me, God? Don't let the middle of the story, what you are going through right now, throw you for a loop. And what's so interesting is what the narrator says in verse 26. They named this festival after the word poor, the word that is used for the lots or the dice, if you will, that Haman cast back in chapter 2 to determine what day they should kill the Jews on. It's the word poor. So the Jews named this new festival Purim after the word for lots, after the word Poor, And I think one reason they did it was they wanted to take a dig at Haman just to rub salt in the wounds of his memory. And throughout the centuries, the Jews have kept the festival of Purim, although it's never mentioned in the New Testament. And I think there's a good reason why it's not mentioned in the New Testament nor prescribed for us, which I'll tell you in a moment. But tradition says that the book of Esther would be read aloud during the festival of Purim, and every time Haman's name was mentioned, the crowd would boo. And every time Mordecai's name was mentioned, the crowd, the crowd would cheer. So let's make this an interactive sermon, shall we? Let's do what the Jews historically would do when reading Esther. I'm going to read verses 23 through 24, and when you hear Haman's name, you boo. And when I read Mordecai's name, you cheer, okay? You got it? Boo for Haman, cheer for Mordecai. Ready? Here we go. So the Jews accepted what they had started to do and what Mordecai had written to them. Hey, you guys did pretty good. I was prepared to say, we can do better than that. 
I was prepared to say, you need to cheer like I did when Tom Brady threw that pick six in the Super Bowl, and then he dove after the guy and miserably missed the tackle. I was prepared to say, cheer like that, but you got it, so let's start it over. So the Jews accepted what they had started to do and what Mordecai had written to them. That was a good Tom Brady falling miserably cheer. For Haman, the Agagite, the son of Hamadatha, the enemy of the Jews. You got it. So that's what the Jews would do during the entire reading of the book of Esther during the festival of Purim. And they would always bring these little rattles and make these noisemakers. They would dress up, do all these things. Now, you know what I did this week as I was working on this sermon and as I was tempted, as I was tempted to worry this week and as I was tempted to covet and as I was tempted to fear this past week, I started saying, boo, to the devil. And it was quite entertaining and fruitful. You might try that the next time you're tempted. Just say, boo. But not only would they boo and cheer during Purim, the rabbis also said, that you should drink so much that you can't tell the difference between cursed be Haman and blessed be Mordecai. You were supposed to get so drunk, so hammered, that you could not tell the difference between Haman and Mordecai. And so you can see now why the Feast of Purim is probably not mentioned in the New Testament nor prescribed for us to do, do so because it got out of hand. In fact, as I said earlier, the Jews already had several major yearly festivals to recall Yahweh's faithfulness. They didn't need Purim. They had daily and weekly and monthly and yearly festivals already given to them by God to spur their memory about how good God had been to them. They didn't need to reinvent the wheel. As Old Testament scholar Alan Ross says, because the day belonged to God, worship was daily. Because the week belonged to God, there was Sabbath worship. Because the month belonged to God, there were new moon observances. And because the years belonged to God, there was seasonal worship, festivals, Sabbath years, and a jubilee. Year by year, the ancient events might have faded from memory, but through the festivals, those events were kept alive. The Jews did not need the festival of Purim. They already had a whole calendar and a whole worship schedule given to them at Mount Sinai in the Mosaic Law designed to capture their attention and remind them of Yahweh's saving activity and to prevent gospel amnesia. I personally think that they added Purim Because they forgot they already had all of these festivals. They forgot that they already had three yearly festivals at least to help them remember God's faithfulness, so they created another one to help them remember God's faithfulness. What? This is how far removed the Jews were from God's word. I mentioned in earlier sermons that there's no mention of God in the book of Esther. There's no mention of the Mosaic law in the book of Esther. There's no mention of the Sabbath in the Esther. There's no mention even of praying in the book of Esther. And here's why. Because the Jews living in Persia at this time had compromised and totally assimilated into Persian culture. They weren't connected to God's people in Israel. And they forgot God's word. And if you think this is impossible... 
What happened during the reign of King Josiah? One average day in 2 Kings chapter 22, Hilkiah finds a dusty copy of the book of Deuteronomy in the temple and he gave it to King Josiah who went ballistic because he didn't even know that this book existed. Can you imagine? They totally forgot that they had God's word. Can you imagine 50 years from now, someone is cleaning out a closet in this church and they find a dusty copy of the Bible and blow it off and say, we're people of the book? What happened? It happened in Josiah's day and the years leading up to that. They forgot that they had God's word. And so Josiah reads Deuteronomy and he realizes that the nation of Israel is in danger of Yahweh's discipline all because of what he read in the book of Deuteronomy. They had drifted so far from the Lord They forgot they had a law. They forgot they had the Mosaic law. They forgot that they had God's word. Crazy? Yes. But it happened. And I think it happened in Esther's day too. And it could happen in our day as well. It's just so easy to experience heart drift, isn't it? As the song says, prone to wonder, Lord, I feel it, prone to leave the God I love. We love that song, don't we? You know why we love that song? Because that song is true, because it resonates with our hearts. And when we sing it, we're like, yes, Lord, prone to wonder. Lord, I feel it. I'm so prone to leave you, and I love you. That's why that song resonates with us. Is it crazy that we would experience some heart drift like that? Yes, it is. If we can swallow this hard truth, we'll realize that, yes, we are just like the Jews living in the Persian Empire in the 480s B.C. Mordecai and Esther weren't connected to God's people in Israel. They neglected God's word. But there was a greater king on the way, King Jesus. Jesus kept all of God's word. He never forgot God's word, and he did everything that his heavenly Father wanted. As Jesus said himself in John 4, 34, My food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. That's good news for forgetters like us. And so the Jews come up with this Feast of Purim, So they won't forget God. So they won't experience gospel amnesia. And they name this festival after the lots that Haman cast. But I think they also name it after Haman's lots because they want to remind themselves in the future that the lot of God's people is not up to chance. They want to remind future generations that the lot of God's people, what happens to them in this world, is not left to chance. Haman may have cast lots and thought he was determining the destiny of the Jews, but as the reversals in the book of Esther have shown us, it's Yahweh who determines the destiny of his people. The festival of Purim reminds the Jews that it is God and God alone who determines the lot of his people in every generation, and nothing is left to chance. Nothing is left to chance for us. And that's good news. As Grammy winner Chance the Rapper says, the book 
don't end with Malachi. God's people are not left to chance. And they weren't left to chance in the book of Esther because Jesus was on the way because the book doesn't end with Malachi. You end Malachi and you turn the page and you see the good news, the gospel of Matthew. And so the Jews committed themselves throughout every generation to honor this new festival of Purim that Mordecai created. And after this, Esther sends out another letter to the entire Persian Empire. Look at verse 29. Then Queen Esther, the daughter of Abihel, and Mordecai the Jew, gave full written authority, confirming the second letter about Purim. Letters were sent to all the Jews, to the 127 provinces of the king of Ahasuerus, in words of peace and truth, that these days of Purim should be observed at their appointed seasons, as Mordecai the Jew and Queen Esther obligated them, and as they obligated themselves and their offspring with regard to their fasts and their lamenting. The command of Esther confirmed these practices of Purim, and it was recorded in writing. And so Esther, as queen, sends out a letter to all of the Jews in the Persian Empire to reinforce what Mordecai's letter said about the festival of Purim. But she adds a note about fasting and lamenting here, which means that she is reminding them that the festival of Purim is not just about celebrating, it's not just about throwing block parties. She also wants them to take some time and reflect and remember how dark it was for those 11 months for the Jews after Haman's law was passed. She doesn't want them to forget the pickle that the Jews were in. She doesn't want them to get gospel amnesia. She wants them to take a moment and reflect on just how dire the situation was and what they had to wait through for 11 months. And then, she says, that will enable them to celebrate with joy and gladness. Esther knows that it's easy to forget what we have been saved from and easy to forget how God has delivered us. Esther probably read Old Testament commentator Ralph Davis who said this, the Bible is clear Amnesia produces apostasy. That is why Scripture is so frantic about the church not forgetting what Yahweh has done for us. When we allow either His quiet keeping or His dramatic rescue to slip into oblivion, we are on our way toward Baal. Nor is it merely some ancient Israelite problem. The apostle warns us of false teachers who will be denying the master who bought them. 2 Peter 2.1 Which is good reason for us to partake gratefully and frequently of the Lord's Supper, lest we forget. How easy it is to forget the Lord. How easy it is to just let his quiet keeping of us fall from our memory. His day in and day out provision of us. His giving us a home and food, shelter, clothing. How easy it is for us to forget that He's the one that provides all that. How easy it is this for us to forget His dramatic rescue, either in the cross through what Jesus has done for us or through those times where we have been backed up against the wall, painted into a corner, and we cried out for His deliverance, and He came through miraculously. How easy it is us for us to forget those times where He intervenes and answers our prayers so easy for those things to just slip into oblivion, which is why we need together 
weekly for Sabbath worship, which is why we need to celebrate the Lord's Supper often. We need to be reminded every week that we gather that when Jesus came, every day became a holiday. We need constant reminders of what Jesus has done for us. We don't gather once a year to celebrate. We can celebrate 24-7. Every day can be a holiday if we rehearse the gospel. Every day can be a festival of Purim for us if we preach the gospel to ourselves and forget not the Lord's benefits. Every day can be a holiday to remember God's greatness. And that's exactly how you expect the book of Esther to end. You expect it to end with a psalm or a prayer praising Yahweh's greatness for delivering his people. But that's not what you get. You want it to end praising the greatness of Yahweh and saving his people. You feel like it's moving. There's been a dramatic uh, saving of his people. There's been all these dramatic reversals one after another. You feel it building to this moment where you're like, we're going to get this great psalm or prayer praising Yahweh's greatness. That's what you expect. But sadly, that's not what you get. Look at chapter 10, verse 1. King Ahasuerus imposed tax on the land and on the coastlands of the sea and all the acts of his power and might and the full account of the high honor of Mordecai to which the king advanced him. Are they not written in the book of the chronicles of the kings of Media and Persia? For Mordecai the Jew was second in rank to King Ahasuerus and he was great among the Jews and popular with the multitude of his brothers for he sought the welfare of his people and spoke peace to all his people. To me personally, The book of Esther ends on a sad note in that it celebrates the greatness of Ahasuerus and it celebrates the greatness of Mordecai and not the Lord. I mean, if you're going to celebrate the greatness of any human here, maybe Esther, she's the one who risked her life, true? First, I think the narrator mocks Ahasuerus. Throughout his empire, as you go through this book, everything changes. Nothing has stayed the same since Esther intervened. Nothing stayed the same in this book except the king. He's the only one that stayed the same. He's the same guy. He imposes a tax on his people probably because he's self-indulgent. He seems to only want to satisfy his own appetite, so he taxes his people. And as far as Mordecai goes, it's great that he does all that he does for the Jewish people. How great would it have been to see this book end with the greatness of Yahweh? How great would it be to see Esther or Mordecai point to Yahweh? How great would it have been to see them pray one of those long, God-centered, gospel-centered prayers that occur throughout the Old Testament? But we don't get that at the end. But even though there is no explicit mention of Yahweh at the end of Esther, we know that he was working behind the scenes throughout this book. The book of Esther, like the entire Bible, is full of fickle people who are always on the receiving end of the faithfulness of God. And that should give you some hope today. The truth is that we are far more like Esther and Mordecai than we may care to admit. Esther and Mordecai caved in to Persian influence. 
what they should have done. They should have been speaking the way the psalmist does in Psalm 20 that we'll see next week when the psalmist is not in Israel. He's surrounded by pagans and he's saying, Ah, this is terrible. Stick an arrow through their tongue, God. They speak deceit. I'm a man of peace. I'm not at home. I'm a resident alien in another land. I want to be back home. That's how you expect Esther and Mordecai to be in the book of Esther, to mimic the psalmist in Psalm 20 and to cry out for relief. I just want to get home, but we don't see that at all. They weren't connected to the people of God in Israel. Yes, they were like us. They're sinners. But they offer us hope. They offer us the hope that no matter what we've done, there's grace. And maybe you're here today and you've blown it. I mean, you've blown it big time. Maybe you've compromised like Esther did. Maybe you've done something that you're so ashamed of, something that haunts you every single day. Maybe you've done something and it has become your functional identity. That's how you see yourself. It's how you filter everything in your life through this event, whatever happened in your life where you blew it. Well, the good news of the gospel is that God's grace is big enough to cover your mess, to cover your sin, just like it was with Esther and Mordecai. How many times have we compromised our beliefs like Esther and Mordecai? How many times have we succumbed to cultural pressure? Throughout the history of God's people, they've struggled with this. We've struggled with this. We live in this tension. Are we going to be faithful to Yahweh? Are we going to serve Him and stand up for truth? Are we going to capitulate to culture and give in? And are we not seeing this in our time today? It's true. We all compromise in big or little ways. We've all blown it in some way. We all look to other things to find satisfaction, to find joy. We all get gospel amnesia from time to time. All of us at times forget who we are in Christ, that we are in union with Christ, and we start experiencing that heart drift, and we end up being shaped and molded by the world. But the good news of the gospel is that God's grace is big enough to cover our mess. And we see that all the way through the book of Esther, and we see that all the way through the Bible. God's people repeatedly fail They sin, they rebel, they compromise, and yet God amazingly continues to use people like us to further his kingdom and his purposes in the earth, just like he did with Esther and Mordecai. You've heard me say this many times, but it bears repeating. Redeeming hopeless, messy situations is God's specialty. This is what he does best. And the book of Esther shows us that. You get to the end and you discover that God providentially and graciously used Esther's mess, Esther's compromise for his redemptive purposes. The good news of the gospel is that God is able to take our mess and our failures and our compromise and to use them for his redemptive purposes. Our mess is the raw material that God uses to bring about redemption. And to see that in its fullness, we need to look no further than the cross. The cross demonstrates that nothing is unredeemable. The gospel is the good news that God can redeem anything and any situation for his glory. And so the book of Esther shows us that God can redeem our past, whatever it includes. And maybe your past includes immorality of some sort like Esther, like what she's doing in chapter 2. God can redeem that. God's grace is bigger than one night. It's bigger than a one-night stand. God's 
Grace is bigger than any mess up, bigger than any failure, bigger than how foolish we might have been in one moment that still haunts us every single day. God's grace is bigger than that one decision that changed your life forever. God's grace is bigger than any of our sin. Even the most horrendous, embarrassing thing that you could do, whatever that is, whatever it is that you have done, it can be redeemed for God's purposes. The good news of the gospel is that Jesus, our Redeemer, never compromised. And for those of us who are Christians, for those of us who are like the many in the scriptures who failed and compromised, for those of us who have done what Esther did, hear the gospel again this morning. Jesus erases all memory of both your guilt and your punishment. Just as if you had never sinned or had no sin. You, today, Christian, are as righteous before God Almighty as Jesus is. Let that sink in. You are as righteous, Christian, right now, before God, as Jesus is. That you can approach God the Father right now just like Jesus can. Believe that today. His grace is big enough to cover your mess. And so the book of Esther doesn't end with a reminder of God's greatness and faithfulness. But we have something that the Jews and Persia should have taken advantage of, which is the Sabbath, weekly Sabbath, weekly worship. God knew that we would forget him, just like Esther and Mordecai and the Jews living in Persia did. And so he gave us a weekly reminder, the Sabbath. It's a gift from God, an extra reminder of God's faithfulness for the Jewish people was okay, an extra yearly reminder like the festival of Purim was fine. Nothing wrong with that. I'm not against that. But they were missing weekly refreshment with the people of God. They were missing the weekly blessing of the Sabbath. We can gather each week on Sunday, on the Sabbath, and be refreshed and be reminded of all that God is for us in his son Jesus. I've read this before, but I want to read it again. Ray Ortland says, The point of the Sabbath is a dress rehearsal for a future eternity of glad rest in God. But in our frantic modern world, the Sabbath offers wisdom that has lasted since the beginning. Genesis chapter 2. It is not written on our calendars as much as we are built into its calendar. It seems to be part of the God-created rhythm for weekly human flourishing. If we did set apart one day each week for rejuvenation in God, we would immediately add to every year over seven weeks of vacation. And not for whatever, but for worship, for community, for mercy, for an afternoon nap, for reading and thinking, for lingering around the dinner table with good jokes and tender words and personal prayers. Listen, if you observe the Sabbath and you take a day to worship and rest, that adds up to over seven extra weeks of vacation every year. If that is not proof that God is good and wise, I don't know what is. Don't you want seven extra weeks of vacation every year? Mark off Sunday as a day of rest and worship, and you'll get seven extra weeks. We need the Sabbath. Why? Because we're all tired because we're all worn out, because we go and we go and we go, and Monday comes, and then we go and we go and we go, and before you know it, Monday is here again, and we just want a break. 
And God knew that we would do that, and so he came up with a vacation plan for humanity, the Sabbath. Would you like seven extra weeks of vacation? Then celebrate the Sabbath. Come and get connected to the rest of the body of Christ here and have your memory restored. Come get connected to the rest of the body and be reminded of your true identity. Come to church on Sunday. Fellowship in gospel community. Sing your heart out to Jesus. Hear the gospel preached. Get refreshed. Get recalibrated. And then go home and take a nap which is what I'm going to do today. And read a good book or show mercy to those who need it. Linger around the dinner table with good jokes and tender words and personal prayers. Why miss out on this? Why miss out on the gift of Sabbath rest and renewal? Why give up seven extra weeks of vacation? Why miss this opportunity together with your church family and to hear about Jesus, to hear about forgiveness, to hear about heaven To hear what Jesus said from the cross, it is finished. That's what Esther and Mordecai needed, a weekly reminder. Not necessarily a yearly one. See, we all come in here burdened every week. I know you come in here burdened just like I do. And we need to be reminded every week that it's finished. We need to be reminded that God's grace is big enough to cover our mess. We need to be reminded that God does not deal with us according to our sins. We need to be reminded that we have been wildly forgiven. We need to be reminded that when Jesus came, every day became a holiday. It was a good day when Jesus was born. It was a good day every day that he obeyed the law for us. It was a good day, the day he died on the cross, the day he rose and ascended, and it will be a good day when he returns. All of eternity will be one good day. Yom Tov for all eternity. Yom Tov, a holiday. Since Jesus came, every day became a holiday. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for Jesus' work on our behalf. His life, death, resurrection, ascension, coronation as King of kings and Lord of lords. Father, help us to be a people who rest, who rest in his finished work for us, and then who rest on the Sabbath as we rest in his finished work. Lord, we are prone to wonder. We feel it, God. We feel it. By the power of your spirit and through constant gospel refreshment, Father, draw our hearts back to you, our first love. Lord, we just want Jesus. We just want to worship Jesus and be with him and enjoy him. Would you do that in this church body today, we ask in his name. Amen.